Hello and welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of Eco Business, Asia Pacific's leading sustainability publication. On today's show, we're going to talk about palm oil, a hugely valuable commodity found in about half of all supermarket products, but which is linked to deforestation, biodiversity loss and human rights abuses in the tropical countries where it is grown. Late last year, the industry's biggest certification body, the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, RSPO, put in place new rules for companies wanting to certify the palm oil they grow or buy as sustainable, with stronger safeguards to protect forests, peatlands and palm oil workers. RSPO's new principles and criteria were welcomed even by the organisation's fiercest critics and recent spat with Indonesian grower Indofood following revelations about the company's labour rights violations has given RSPO some credibility as an enforcer of its rules. But there is some way to go to ensure RSPO standards protect forests, the people who grow the crop and the companies whose reputations depend on buying sustainable palm oil. Yesterday, department store chain Selfridges Um, became the second retailer in the UK to ban palm oil from its products, claiming that certification had failed to protect forests. To discuss the implications of RSPO's new principles and criteria for the industry and for forests, we have a packed house on the podcast today. Joining us are Daryl Webber, Chief Executive of RSPO, which is the sponsor of this podcast, Elizabeth Clark, Global Lead for Palm Oil for the Worldwide Fund for Nature, or WWF, and Perpetua George, Assistant General Manager, Group Sustainability for Wilmar International, the world's largest palm oil trader. Okay, so first question for you, Daryl. So the uh, new principles and criteria, what for you are the most important changes they will bring about for the industry and also for forests? Um. Well, there are significant changes in the in the in the standards itself, but uh, be, even you know in the process of creating those standards, there were already significant changes. For example, uh, it has been the largest consultative process we've ever run before. Uh, we went through several countries, explaining face to face with our stakeholders. We've engaged with thousands and thousands of people, trying to give get them to provide input from across the world. Uh, and so we feel that you know that because of that, this is a, uh, this is this had rich input in the development of the standards. The standards itself brought about um, brings uh, some big changes on the aspects of uh, deforestation, uh, peat, uh, labor, uh, and labor issues. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's clearer indicators on what we mean by uh, zero deforestation. Uh, there's clearer indicators on what we mean by no peat. Well, basically, we say no peat, no no planting on peatlands. Uh, a lot of new uh, indicators uh, that that talks about labor issues, labor rights, human rights, uh, child ch- children rights, um, and one of the big things that came out of the standard, with, which, in my opinion, was not entirely expected was the fact that we've decided to have a separate standard for smallholders and build it from the ground up. So that's a, through a separate process. In the past, we've, 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 we've retrofitted the main standard for smallholders. Uh, but today, we've decided to split that process. So to have a smallholder-led uh, development on, on, for smallholders. 
so that's like, to me are the biggest the biggest uh, changes in the standard. Interesting. Okay, small holders and and similar question for you, Liz, um, representing the NGO for WWF. Um, the biggest changes that RSPO's principles and criteria will bring in, and what they will mean for forests and the industry. Well, um, I think and I hope that uh, the standard will draw a line under what were previously major criticisms um, uh, for, for NGOs and for um, non-RSPO members. Um, and those are predominantly around areas that Daryl has already um, uh, mentioned. So uh, no deforestation, uh, no uh, new planting on peat and, and stronger management requirements around existing areas planted on peat. Um, and also uh, better human rights safeguards around labour and around local communities and indigenous rights. Uh, the shorthand for which is usually NDPE, which I'm sure Pep can um, expand on as well. And the interpretation of NDPEs can be quite variable, but it's really important that the RSPO has embraced um, addressing those main areas. And um, I think what was incredibly important was to see groups that um, emerged after the 2013 standard, such as the Palmer Innovation Group and the High Carbon Stock Approach, um, that uh, those have um, the asks that they were making and the, the, the work that they have done um, has been uh, by and large embraced in the new standard. I think it would have been um, a disaster if we came out of the 2018 standard and uh, they weren't addressed and identified. It, it could have seen the RSPO slip into um, irrelevance, but instead um, that was really an important move and it was broadly uh, welcomed to see all of the uh, the major changes that, that were made in the standard. Um, of course, there were, there were still going to be some uh, minor crit criticisms and, and differences, but it's, it's important that those key areas were addressed. Uh, the other really big one that I, I should mention as well relates uh, to traceability. So as with no defore deforestation since 2013, um, traceability of third party supply um, has become uh, an emergent issue. and. It's really great to see that the RSPO is taking into account um, uh, those wider discussions around sustainable palm oil industry. Um, and um, I think for me, it's also really important to show how the RSPO can also uh, move outside of, of just the certification unit and have those wider impacts on, on industry um, and helping to support a more sustainable industry in general. Mm. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned Palm Oil Innovation Group and how other frameworks have emerged to help RSBO press on with its own um, standards. So over to you, Perpetua George, also known as PEP from Wilma International, the world's biggest palm oil trader. How do you see things? Yeah, well, so I think from an industry perspective, um, I have, I think, a slightly different view to it. So I think on the one hand, as a participant to the working group or the task force, really, that put this together and having spent sort of like two years of my life, um, you know, sitting with uh, other stakeholders within the RSPO network, working through the standards. I think um, it's been incredibly um, successful, that process. And what has happened now is you've got the RSPO now becoming the most comprehensive sustainability certification standard out there, uh, compared even to, you know, the forestry standards. Uh, of course, most people will know of the Forest Stewardship Council. Uh, standards are even better than that now, uh, way ahead of uh, the soy um, as well as the sugar standards. So I think um, in terms of the standard itself and comprehensiveness covering um, areas of uh, uh, forest protection, 
protection, um, covering areas of um, proper planning prior to development or sustainable planning. Um, and I think critically, uh, that gets less coverage, I think, on the labor front, a much more clearer um, uh, requirement for ensuring forced labor does not occur. Um, so, you know, it, it puts together a package that is incredibly comprehensive um, and, you know, on paper, quite fantastic. Um, I think the realities of implementation will start to come to the fore right now in what's, I think, effectively happened is um, a ring fencing or strengthening, I think, of existing uh, players. So uh, those that are currently certified uh, or in the process of certification, um, having you know much more uh, better ability to sort of say, look, we are performing to a very, very high standard. But what's also happening, and we're seeing this increasingly um, with our suppliers, it's, it's becoming much more difficult um, for smaller players in particular to come on board uh, to to RSPO certification because it's become very comprehensive, uh, very difficult um, in, in those regards. So, you know, impact, I think, potentially to the palm industry, quite a good one um, in, in that it really puts to the fore the fact that, you know, you can't really take a broad brush to say the palm industry is, is bad because we've got, you know, the best comprehensive standard. Um, but on the other hand, what it's doing is uh, potentially widening, I think, the, the different between uh, those the worst players and the best players so I think um, that's the sort of direct impact that we can see what impact it will have on the forests I think if we're really only looking at it from a a specific operational unit perspective, so a plantation and a mill, um, that's not going to have a very big impact on forests per se. But I think the moment we start talking about um, the standards being applied at a wider jurisdictional level, so for example, the state of Sabah, where I'm from, um, that will start to see potentially huge impacts on set-asides and forests. So I think uh, the way we're looking at it from an industry perspective is that the RSPO needs to now take these standards and really push the jurisdictional approach to success. Mm. Um, You mentioned uh, one of the challenges there, um, that for some, it's been harder to come on board and meet the RSPO standards. Um, Back to you again, Daryl. I want to talk about, again, some of the challenges of putting the new framework together. Obviously, no framework is is perfect. And only yesterday we've heard the news from Selfridges, um, upmarket uh, department store chain in the United Kingdom saying that they've removed palm oil from their products. Also, there's the European Union issue um, banning palm oil from from biodiesel. So what do you see as the major challenges in in putting the framework together and making it work? I think uh, what uh, Petra said is correct. Um, that there, there is this threat that that uh, you know the, those that can will proceed with the standard, and uh, those that uh, perceive themselves that they can't possibly reach this high bar will will stay away from it, right? But that's always been the the tricky situation that RSPO has had, right? How high do we set the bar? Now we have many stakeholders who prefer us to have the very highest you know credibility and put it really up there. But I've always said there's no use setting the bar so high that no one can 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 go you know jump over that bar and then you know you'll have a perfect have to set the bar at just the right level. Uh, we think we've set a very um, uh, ambitious uh, t- uh, you know uh, we we were ambitious in setting up these standards and when I say we it's not RSPO the executive branch it's RSPO the stakeholders. Uh, but we have to recognize that it is going to it is a high bar. 
and we must find ways to encourage people to uh, the, the larger stakeholders to get on board this. And one way to do it, as uh, Pep mentioned, is uh, through the jurisdictional approach, which we are piloting in some countries and some jurisdictions. It's nice that you mentioned selfages because uh, I think, um, you know, this approach of saying uh, no to palm oil uh, when you have a big issue about, let's, you have an issue of a palm oil and, and people assume, and you know, and the reason why people walk away is they say, it's all oh, it's unsustainable. And you know, uh, I don't understand this. If you are in a debate and you decide to walk away from the debate, how is it that you, are a, you can be considered a responsible individual, a responsible organization? Keeping silent in a debate is non-participative. It's non, uh, you know, it's not rational in my opinion, right? So, I would say it's a lazy man's approach to so-called sustainability, walking away from the debate. So there are many examples in the UK where organisations actually get, you know, participate in the debate. You know, like uh, another retail organisation, Tesco's, for example, they had a hundred percent, right, uh, sustainable. Even organisations with far less resources than Selfridges, Chester Zoo, for example, chose to be really involved in a debate, and now they're encouraging a whole city to be, you know, considered. You know, they, you know the city of Chester is now called the Sustainable Palm Oil City. They have an ambition to use only sustainable palm oil for the whole city. Now, this was mooted by a city, by an organisation that has far less resources than Selfridges. Uh, they could have easily walked away because they say, you know, they have no resources to engage. But did they? No, they did not. They acted responsibility. Whereas Selfridges, I would say, I would argue, have much greater resources, but they decided to take the easy way out and walk away from the debate. I don't see how this is considered responsible or sustainable. In fact, I would be very interested to know what did Selfridges uh, replace instead of palm oil? Is it deforestation free or conflict free or you know, free of human rights abuse? What level of verification or assurance can they give? I mean, if they can do the same, as, you know, if they can provide that same level of assurances for all the commodities that they use instead of palm oil, then kudos to Selfridges because they did the right thing. They walked away from one bad, perceived to be bad commodity to something much better. And I would shake the hands of whoever decided to do this for Selfridges. But if they can't, shame on you. Yeah, interesting. It's one of a few of those alternatives was one was um, rapeseed, another was sunflower, another was soy, which, as we as we know, has had its own issues with deforestation. So, so Liz, over to you and back to the principles and criteria. Obviously, no framework is perfect. Where do you see the biggest challenges of implementing um, RSPOs, PNCs? Mm. Well, I mean, I think it's the the very things that make it stronger are the things that are going to make it far more challenging. Um, so on the no deforestation side, I think we already mentioned uh, alignment with the high carbon stock approach. Um, so that will require doing integrated high conservation value and high carbon stock assessments. Um, and uh, there are a lot of uh, questions still that remain around um, high forest cover landscapes within high forest cover countries, for which there is a joint steering group between RSPO and HCSA um, that, are, that leaves a lot of questions to be answered um, about what to do in those in those circumstances for countries that um, are, are set on a development uh, trajectory that's inclusive of palm, but um, obviously have significant 
uh, high forest carbon stock. So the inclusion of HCSA within the standard, uh, I think it was uh, essential that um, you know the, the RSP had to respond and become gold. Um, that was what the market was demanding, and that is what the industry um, needs to and can demonstrate is possible. Um, uh, but with that, I, as Daryl has mentioned, I think uh, you know there is this concern to see well how easy is it going to be impl to implement in practice. And really, I think you know I, one thing that we're happy about is with the revision of the standard, we hope that there will now be far less focus of energy on the wording of the standard and the words on, the, on a piece of paper and much more focus on the actual implementation and the assurance around the implementation of the standard. Um, there's going to be a transition period for that. So I believe that uh, companies have until November of this year, so one year after the, uh, after the standard was uh, endorsed by the RSPM members to, to implement. And in the meantime, that's requiring significant capacity building and uh, training and engagement with the folks on the ground who actually have to deliver this um, and that will in return require I think significant um, shared effort from downstream buyers in the supply chain and the introduction of shared responsibility has been a really key thing out of the standard recognizing that it's not enough to just demand that there will be uh, deforestation free sustainable palm oil put on the plate um, that comes at a cost and you know the question there is what what price for the environment and, and for people? Um, you know, it, the, there has to be um, support to deliver um, what is recognised as being an, a very challenging standard um, to implement, and um, we want to see that as well being broad spread. So we don't want to just see certification taking place in in old plantations uh, that were cleared uh, long before the RSPO uh, came to fruition. Um, but how do you apply that into new concession areas? So, I mean, those are going to be really, really big challenges um, for the RSBO to be able to uh, to demonstrate. Mm. Um, Daryl, sorry, you wanted to add to that. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, Liz mentioned about shared responsibility in, in passing. I just want to, uh, want to build on that a little bit. So as a result of this uh, development of the new standard, uh, there was a proposal by everyone in that working group, uh, in that task force, uh, to have a, another working group, task force, to talk about shared responsibility for the rest of the players that when that are not applying the, this new production standard PNC. Um, so that's that's interesting because now you know this this gets serious. You know this is where put your money where your mouth is, right? So this is this is supposed to be a discussion about how the rest of the supply chain can play a significant role in, uh, in, in, in promoting sustainable palm oil, I guess, uh, being a more responsible member of the RSPO. So I think uh, it's, it's a conversation that will be challenging and we all hope to see something come out of it uh, in, in the next few months. Um, Pep um, from Wilmar, you were smiling wryly when um, Liz was talking about the challenges of implementation. Would you like to give your bit from, from the company's perspective? Yeah, I, I think for us it is incredibly challenging. And, you know, and, and I'm talking about you know, us in Wilmar, and we've been doing this since 2007. Um, I think one of the key challenges that have come out very clearly is that you know, while the standard is there and it looks good, um, what, currently, uh, what is currently lacking is clear guidance 
clear guidance on the implementation of certain elements. I think in particular, um, the element about um, ensuring that you're not uh, converting high carbon stocks, for example, um, and high com uh, conservation value uh, forest areas within existing plantations. So this is a kind of current uh, discussion that we're currently having looking at, you know, if you've got small uh, patches left within a plantation. So we're not talking about, you know, forest areas. Uh, we're talking about, you know, land that's been left um, and so little patches. And how do you deal with that? And at the moment, um, you know, the certification bodies don't know. Um, the RSPO also struggling, I think, trying to find this. Um, and really, the task has been put back on a kind of working group to sort of define what this means. So effectively, I think what we're seeing um, at implementation level on the ground is that, you know, we're kind of stuck. So we're kind of stuck. We can't really move forward um, with plants in the plantation because, you know, doing so might mean we might lose the certification. Uh, but also, there it's, it's unclear. And I think that is, you know... Uh, in essence, you kind of have to live with that. If you're if you're moving forward, uh, you're being kind of the first mover. You're always going to have to live with uncertainty. But I think, unfortunately, what that means is um, we're facing a lot of uncertainty looking at how we would implement some of these requirements. Um, you know, and a time frame of a year may seem, you know, oh wow, that's a long time, but in reality, it isn't. Um, and when you've got no way of getting answers or clear answers to how are you supposed to implement this, I think it becomes difficult. I mean, the other uh, the other component that we struggle with is um, really looking into, um, you know, what, what is the expectation around, uh, I think Daryl mentioned this and also Liz mentioned this about shared responsibility, particularly for a player like Wilma that is, you know, we're vertically uh, integrated, which means, you know, we've got, we've already had to bear quite a lot of the kind of responsibility from the plantation side, also from the trader side, you know, we're sort of very clear um, um, output from the mill to refinery. So we've had for many years that responsibility. Um, and now we're being asked to shoulder potentially more. And it's not clear, you know, how much more for companies like us, it becomes very difficult. So, you know, I've already seen the emails asking if I want to be part of that task force. I think I'm going to have to consider uh, how um, I participate. But I think it's already raising some difficult questions because you have, you know, and we've we've had to live in the RSPO for a while looking at implementation of certain elements. And just a clear example of the uh, human rights defenders policy, when that came out last year, there was major pushback from uh, a RSPO category member, which I will not mention, but, you know, they're not part of operations. And their main pushback was, oh, you know, human rights defenders got nothing to do with us. Why would we need to apply this? Um, so you've got pushback from, you know, um, effective the guys that that are not headquartered out in Asia, that are not sort of seeing some of what these these issues are, making the biggest noises around um, human rights, around deforestation. But when it comes to actually sharing that responsibility, it becomes more difficult. I mean, going back to that the, the Selfridges thing, I, I also want to say, if their reason of taking palm away was because of deforestation, well, why are they still selling avocados and avocado products? Avocados are causing basically 3% deforestation in Mexico year on year. Chocolates. Yeah. So, you know, if, if that was really the case, then, you know, I, I think they do need to be quite serious about thinking about it. And I think that brand palm and not RSPO specifically, but palm oil itself, I think suffers from the fact that it is seen as a product of the other. You know, it's, it's not a familiar raw ingredient um, in Europe, in the Americas, in, in Australia and anywhere in the north, you would argue. It's seen as a third world 
um, effectively ingredient. And, you know, because of that, it's very easy um, to label it as as the other. And I think this is quite an important point to make, you know, and, and I, 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 I did a master's in anthropology. So, you know, looking at the kind of self and other, I think when you when you start looking at it in that perspective, you can kind of understand why um, it's been quite easy to demonize it as a product, um, you know, in certain societies. And I think that's something perhaps we need to collectively work work on more. So that's also a challenge is to, you know, no matter how sustainable you are, even if you can prove it, if the product in itself is not seen as something um, uh, that in itself is potentially could be good or even neutral, then, you know, you're always going to be backpedaling, you know, or sort of running against, what do they say in England? Um, sort of running through treacle, something like that, or pushing water up a hill. Yeah. Yes. Wading through treacle. Yes, yes, absolutely. Good analogies. One, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting uh, discussion point, brand palm and the challenges it faces. Um, let's get back to that in a minute. Um, want to ask you, Daryl, about enforcement of RSPO's principles and criteria and how um, these new rules can be adhered to by all the companies um, and also including the smallholders that are um, held to these standards as well. So enforcement. Well, I think we'll... First, we have to ensure that the the, the auditors who go down to the ground are well trained. So we've been trying to do these training workshops with all the certification bodies as much as we can. Um, uh, We're going to create more training modules for the certification bodies, that's for sure. Um, And and then we have to rely a lot more on technology nowadays. Uh, So satellite imagery is, is key. Um, we are also experimenting with uh, crowdsourcing information, having direct contact with the, uh, uh, the, the the people on the ground, the workers of the plantations, so they can communicate direct to the RSPO. Uh, so we're having a kind of a new, uh, we're, we're piloting some uh, new technology that allows uh, every worker to communicate directly to us or respond to a survey from us at any point in time using uh, various channels of communications like mobile phones, landlines, uh, etc. So we're trying this out. Uh, Wilma is a proud, uh, proud uh, pilot, have offered us a site to pilot it out and, and some others have already done that. And I think that's really the way to go. Uh, to, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the auditors to uncover everything on a visit. But as you know, you know, all the world's biggest scandals in the world had financial auditors from the big four companies. And they, most of the time, these scandals were not detected by the auditors. So if there are people intent on cheating, they can and they will. So, you know, auditors provide a certain level of assurance. But what we need to do is to have a much better way to have a, a finger on the pulse every day. And, and, and technology is probably the way to go about it. Satellite imagery and, and this new tool that we're trying to use to have direct communication with the workers. Mm. Interesting. Um, Liz, do you have a perspective on that and how the, the new RSPO rules can be better enforced? Uh, yes. I mean, this whole area of assurance is going to be extraordinarily important, um, probably the central topic uh, for the NGO sector uh, moving forward. Um, in, I think in 2015 there was the seminal report that was released by EIA called Who Watches the Watchman um, and it, it really brought to light a number of different concerns around uh, the approach to auditing, potential weaknesses not just that um, the RSBO can face but in general in certification because obviously certification is heavily reliant in general um, on 
on audits and the quality of audits. And um, as Dara's mentioned, there can be weaknesses in that. And um, uh, but then there can also be greater assurances that can be placed that show actually, you know, audits are picking up really important um, data. So. There's a big body of work that the RSPO is committed to um, around um, improving uh, assurance for audits, but uh, also along with this transition period, there'll be, have to be a lot of work with um, certifying bodies. Um, and um, two really key important things that have happened um, have been introduction of um, for, for assessors, assessors of HCV and HCS, uh, the assessors licensing scheme that's run through the HCV resource network. Um, that provides a sort of level of, of independence to review that, so a watcher for the watchman. And then similarly um, with um, uh, ASI, uh, providing assurance around certifying bodies and auditors as well. So all those areas are really welcome and important, but there's still you know, additional areas that are recognised as being needed to be addressed. Um, but then beyond that as well, there's this area around impacts when we talked about um, you know, we mentioned uh, Europe and, and Selfridges and, and companies that are electing to go palm oil free. Uh, WS position on this is very clear that we support sustainable palm oil and we think engaging with the industry is the way to go, uh, that boycotting palm oil isn't going to affect any significant change um, and it's far better to work with the industry to to um, make palm more sustainable and rather than switch to alternatives, the impact of which we're, we're unclear of. Um, and many, many other commodities are not held by anywhere near the same standard that uh, the RSPO holds palm oil companies to. Um, but if, if we want to be able to demonstrate impact, there's a lot of opportunity now to demonstrate that with, uh, with different assurance tools that the RSPO has. Um, so that can include things like using satellite technology, such as Global Forest Watch's uh, monitoring system for things like incidents of fire and deforestation. It's been incredibly important that the RSPO has pushed towards transparency of things such as um, concessions and maps um, to be able to, to verify and demonstrate that, uh, that plantations are ad- abiding by those kinds of, of standards. Um, so these tools will become increasingly important. Um, with the revision of the, the standard, the PNC, there was also an effort to put in more um, metrics uh, through the indicators. So beyond qualitative audit reports, what can we quantitatively say um, about plantations? And there's data there on things such as uh, you know, water quality or, or, um, uh, or forest cover. And indeed, you know, it's, it's not enough to say, I have an HCV area, uh, I have an HCV management plan. Um, what is in that HCV? Is, is, is it still viable? Does it still contain the same species, the same habitat mix um, after, after five, 10 years? Um, how does it connect within the wider landscape? All these kinds of questions are really important and these kind of new tools and technologies help that. Um, and then we have other uh, tools such as the, the ACOP, the Annual Communication of Progress, that companies um, are uh, expected to complete and that, that can also collect really important information that helps the RSPO towards its theory of change um, and shared vision, um, not just putting the emphasis on growers, um, and, and upstream, but on buyers and those um, uh, and the volumes that they're purchasing on CSP and the actions that they're taking and whether they're commensurate as well. Um, we just published an analysis yesterday with the Zoological Society of London that reveals a third of RSBA members aren't actually um, either filling out their ACOP completely or are not submitting it at all. A fifth of companies, member companies, are not um, submitting their ACOP. So there's, there's huge opportunities there to improve that system and to improve the quality of data that's collected. So 
I suppose overall what I'm trying to say is that um, intuitively you would think on paper that the RSPS standard would introduce a lot of benefits and positive impacts and reduction in negative impacts. Um, but there is emerging evidence that questions whether or not a, a certified plantation is more sustainable than a non-certified. Um, so what can the RSPO do to demonstrate uh, that it is actually having impacts on things like yield, water quality, forest management and so forth? Obviously, Pep, before we get back onto brand palm, um, Dal mentioned a technology that Wilma International is trialling. I just wondered how that is going and your thoughts on better enforcement of RSPO's rules and how to do it. I think... Um, I would like to address the enforcement question first, though. I think the, the, the key here is what you mean by enforcement. And I think there's two levels. I think in a way, um, Liz and Daryl both talked about this. I think on the one hand, um, if you're talking about um, how they are better audited from a kind of certification perspective, I think um, some of the changes have included, you know, as Liz mentioned, matriculation, metrifying um, the standard itself to make it a little bit more um, objective in terms of how um, assessors look at something, but also better guidelines for auditors in, in terms of what, what they're looking for. But I think that's really not maybe what people tend to think about when they're asking is this better enforced, right? So I think, um, you know, most people probably wouldn't be interested about the kind of auditing process or, you know, what the CBs look at, what's accreditation. Um, it's more the question of how is RSPO ensuring um, that it's got positive impacts or the sustainability impacts on the ground. And I think for that, um, the answer is a little bit more complicated because um, it's not really those that are certified or in the pipeline for certification that will have the biggest negative impacts on forests, for example, or um, on people and labor. Um, it's going to be those outside of it, or outside, of, outside that gate, outside the RSPO fence, as it were. And so I think um, the RSPO really needs to work um, a lot closer with um, initiatives locally, say in Malaysia and Indonesia, uh, to really get an idea of what those impacts are um, and perhaps to move it forward a little bit more collectively um, to look at, you know, what, what, what is happening um, around, you know, deforestation rates. Because, you know, I think um, if you're looking at, and, and we monitor um, uh, 15 million hectares um, of forest through our internal uh, supplier monitoring program, um, and that's something um, that, you know, I think we're quite proud of, you know, because that effectively looks at almost the entire kind of um, palm uh, domain for Malaysia, uh, Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. So, you know, it's, it's a big chunk of area that we're looking at. And predominantly, I think the areas that are suffering from deforestation, um, effectively, they're outside the RSPO companies. But they're also outside um, the supply base of Wilma. So there, there is this massive leakage of where all the bad things are happening, so to speak. Um, and they are happening in, um, you know, areas where it's being driven by the fact that, you know, these companies can still supply to, you know, refiners or other traders that may not have no deforestation, no peat, no exploitation commitments. Um, they may not have the same kind of um, belief in sustainability or are not even committed to RSPO. So I think the bigger question around impacts, I think, has to go beyond the RSPO. It's got to go uh, to look at, you know, as I kind of called it, brand palm in that sense, you know, where is all this happening? Um, so I think that on, that on sort of enforcement side of things, um, I think in terms of um, technology, um, 
there's you know what uh, I think a lot of people talk about uh, things like the use of drones for mapping you know looking at uh, drone uh, footage or information satellite imagery um, for fires and uh, these are things that I you know I wouldn't I wouldn't say uh, is new per se you know this is stuff that's been around you know in the last 10 years um, that many companies now um, have employed as part of operations but I think where the real innovation is happening and I think Daryl mentioned this is around how do you use innovation or technology uh, to effectively improve your labor. And I think that is something that we're trialing now with the RSPO, a kind of direct um, worker to management um, system, which uses a kind of um, basic telephone line, um, text messaging, um, and something called Ulula, which I think um, is is something that we're very excited about because that gives us, you know, I think for the first time, um, a kind of direct ability, um, almost, uh, you know, um, at the time that it happens uh, to understand what's going on, you know, with our workers. And, you know, I think the, the, the trial is still ongoing at the moment. I think it's, it's been, it's had a very good uh, feedback from our workers themselves. So I think we hope to be able to see this um, being possible to be rolled out, um, not just elsewhere in Wilma, but, but elsewhere, you know, within the industry and particularly within RSP membership. So we're very much excited about what technology can do uh, to help with the kind of workforce human question or human impact when it comes to um, you know sustainability so I think that's where um, you know where we can see the most bang for your buck is as it were um, but you know unfortunately maybe doesn't get the kind of headlines because it's not as sexy as say flying a lovely drone over you know forest areas but you know that's where I think we can have the most impact mm. okay, okay final question for you guys before we wrap up I'll, I'll put it to you first Daryl is about the, the brand palm question um, and where the RSPO fits within that obviously as we mentioned, we talked about selfages, the EU biodiesel ban. What can be done to improve palm oil's reputation? And what does the future of palm oil look like? RSPO has to send a message that you know, um, the, 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 the solution to unsustainable development of any commodity is sustainably developed commodities, right? So that's the first thing we need to send the message. And then, uh, and we have to, and, and palm is so distant from most of these countries that make a lot of, of these, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of advocacy against palm. So that's, that's going to be a huge challenge. And, and the way to overcome the communication is to have some kind of unified approach to talk about palm. Because right now, RSPO sends one message, a government sends another message, and so on and so forth. Our approach has been always, you know, look, the industry has made mistakes, not different from other commodities, right? But it has, and it's doing something. And by far, and anybody will tell you, anybody's objective will tell you that there is no other commodity that is now more transparent than palm. None. There's no standard that requires this level of transparency. Zero. So, so you know, uh, we, we, we try to tell this, and I wish other stakeholders, in particular producer countries, starts along the same, goes along the same lines. The first step towards being uh, accepted is to say, you know, raise your hands, say, we've done some mistakes, no different from other commodities, but here is how we're going to do something about it, and this is how you're going to measure our performance. I think that's something you need to say. Um, uh, and, and recognize that there is, that, you know, governments, uh, um, 
you know, buying country governments can can sometimes do nothing when it comes to to uh, consumer sentiment, right? Consumer sentiment uh, on, on the or the purchasing purchasing um, uh, purchasing patterns of of a, a population is not really these days anyway determined by 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 government. It's determined by brands. It's determined by retailers. We as consumers are influenced every day to buy something we don't need. It's about time brands and retailers influence consumers to buy something that we really do need that's important for the environment and important for health. So I, I, I think that it's about time that we talk to the brands, talk to the uh, uh, retailers, those are closer to consumers. Uh, you know, use this power that they have to, to influence buying patterns, to help consumers buy good stuff. Interesting, a marketing issue, yeah. Um, Liz, um, how do you see that same challenge improving brand palm and perhaps RSPO's role within that? I, I would say that credibility is key. Um, I hate to be most people that use it as an expression that's um, viral at the moment, but fake news. Um, don't fight fake news with fake news. I think that the RSPO is in a strong position uh, with all the work it's been doing on transparency um, and around assurance and, and hopefully more so on impacts to, to, to demonstrate um, that sustainable palm oil is possible, uh, that it can be produced uh, without causing uh, deforestation, degradation of peatland, uh, infringement on human rights. But in order to do that, it has to be credible um, and it has to be able to combine assurance with demonstration of impact. So for me, that would be the move forward. I think, um, you know, there's a very strong case that can be made around sustainable palm oil with, with better transparency and with initiatives that the RSPO is taking through uh, jurisdictional landscape approaches, um, others that some members are demonstrating in the plantations. Um, and then uh, for me as well, I, I'd also uh, like to see more RSPO emphasis on, um, on things such as uh, remediation and restoration from members, so not just about um, you know, no expansion, no deforestation, but, but what are the efforts on, on restoration, on remediation of past clearance, and um, demonstrating connectivity and, and landscape approaches. Those are really, to me, really important areas that the RSPO can take forward in the future. And PEP, Ram Palm. Yeah, you know, and I think I've, I've said quite a bit already, but I think I, I do want to sort of follow on from a couple of things that um, Liz and Daryl have said. I think, so one, uh, Liz saying is credibility is key. Uh, Daryl saying that there needs to be a unified approach to communication. I agree with those both. But I think here's the challenge. I think for what we're, what we're up against, particularly, let's talk about Europe. What we're up against in Europe is the fact that the general public there don't actually know what palm oil is. And I'll give you an example. You know, a few years ago when I was working for a big FMCG company, you know, we did a review in terms of what Scandinavian consumers thought palm was. And we got back, you know, quite terrifying views. Like, for example, they thought that palm oil was derived from essentially chopping down palms and squeezing the timber to get out the palm. And that they thought that, um, you know, palm was therefore planted every year and that every year you'd have to burn, you know, the land. So, you know, we're up against that sort of basic things, right? And so I think the fundamentally what the RSPO has been doing um, over the years is really focusing on talking about sustainable palm. 
Um, and I think what hasn't been done enough is to talk about what is palm, what are the basics, the fact that, you know, it's a 25-year cycle, it's a perennial crop, you know, that's uh, very sustainable in that sense, if you're talking, you know, from production capacity, the fact that um, to the nearest competitor, which is rapeseed, it's five times more productive, so you get five times more oil for the same area. Um, and the fact that I think the RSPO hasn't been unified um, in, you know, talking about palm as a product sort of at the basic level, I think, in Europe, you know, with the, the government countries, I think probably has been um, uh, hasn't helped the message, I believe, because, and, you know, bringing what, what, what Liz had said, credibility is key. RSPO right now has a credibility, right? Um, more so than, let's say, the governments when it, when it comes to sort of talking about palm. So really, I think we got to use that credibility that the RSPO have to fight some of the kind of, you know, the fake news, uh, as it were, you know, and, you know, I've also heard, for example, you know, that the Italians view, you know, there's some talk about the Italians saying that palm oil itself is, is poisonous, you know, but it's okay if like, you know, you feed that to, you know, Malaysian children, Indonesian children and African children because, hey, they've grown up with them. But, you know, we can't have palm in Italy because it's poisonous. But, you know, that, that kind of thing, I think, really does need a credible source to sort of say, look, at the base of it, this is what the product is. And this, I think, is, is the problem with brand palm is really not so much about the discussion about the sustainability of it, but the fact that the product itself is not understood. People don't really know what it is. Um, some people think it's a chemical. So I think those elements of it need to be fought first um, in this whole discussion about brand palm before we even go to, you know, you want to call the sort of techie bits um, of talking about sustainability and production and, you know, yields, which I think um, by the time you get there, people would have zoned out because immediately they think, oh, this is something that requires fire every year, you know, to be produced and it's poisonous. You know, you, you've got to fight the fake news first. Um, so building on what Pep was saying as well is that we do get really weighed down with jargon quite a lot. And um, I think it just actually demonstrates just how much there is in the RSPO standard. Uh, uh, I think companies will attest to the amount of paperwork that they have to do to go through audits and get certified. There's a lot in there. There are a lot of assurances put in place, a lot of work from many, many people, many hours going in to provide uh, credibility and assurance around standard and that can often get lost in the messaging um, we get weighed down with this jargon and with palm oil it is very very difficult to communicate a simple message about sustainability and what consumers can do about it particularly in supermarket places where it doesn't really appear on, on labeling that probably won't change anytime soon because it, it's in so many different things in so many different quantities um, so how do we communicate about uh, sustainable palm um, and I, one one example I'd like to encourage is that WF has recently worked with Netflix um, and Silverback Films to produce a series um, narrated by Sir David Attenborough called Our Planet that's available on Netflix and can be streamed to about a billion people around the world. Um, and that, that includes one episode that looks at jungles and, and, uh, and oil palm. But accompanying that, there is a website called Our Planet um, where it starts to try and package some of this information and communicate around what does sustainable palm oil mean? What does deforestation free palm oil mean? Why are we pushing for that rather than a boycott? Um, so there, there is content out there, but I will say it is very difficult because the knee-jerk reaction is because of the reputation palm has with it, because there have been um, you know, a lot of deforestation, a lot of impacts on wildlife uh, and communities in the past. It, it's, there's a reason for that, but but we need to try and emphasize what sustainable palm oil can and should be. Um, 
so I'd urge people to look at um, the Our Planet website to find out a little bit more on that. And final thought, Darrell? A few things. Number one, the biggest drivers of deforestation today in Southeast Asia are not the big boys. It's small farmers. Um, uh, so be aware that there must, there needs to be extra attention on the small farmers, not to punish them, but to encourage them to come up to the level, you know, of, of sustainability as, uh, or to give them ambition to come up to a, a, a acceptable level of sustainable development. That's 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 key. Number two. Uh, there are many out there who focus a lot on the big boys who are already doing reasonably well compared to others. And sometimes I worry that uh, the kind of attention or spotlight that is shown on these big guys makes them want to go away from the spotlight and go into, uh, you know, we're a transparent platform, so they go into the darkness. They leave RSPO, let's say. And it doesn't make things better. What it does, it, it removes, uh, it, it, it does not give you any insight into the operations. We have had instances where largest companies have left the RSPO and suddenly all the noise disappears. Mm. It's not as if the solution, uh, the problems have disappeared with that company. It's mm. just that they've become gone into the darkness. So it's a double-edged sword. We have transparency, but it gives a lot of people ammunition to attack the company. Okay. They don't put as much energy into attacking those who are already you know, in this deep, dark world that is not the RSPO. So I, I, I would like to close with that, say, you know, when we, when, we, when we advocate for someone, understand who are the biggest drivers of deforestation and understand that transparency is good, but if you push people too hard and use transparency as a tool to attack, uh, you may push people into this dark zone where you have no knowledge of what they're doing and the problems do not disappear if they go into this dark zone. Good place to leave it. Um, Datuk Daryl Weber, Liz Clark, Perpetua George, thanks very much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business at the SDG Co, a co-working space for sustainable development organizations in Asia. EcoBusiness is Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. This podcast is part of the series Palm Oil Conversations, sponsored by the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening!